Welcome to the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Gomes. And I'm Anna Cash. Here, we come together to bring you a podcast all about preserving food safely, easily, and dare I say perfectly at home. We are master food preservers, moms, wives, and we love talking about canning. We've decided the world needs a podcast that shares up-to-date, modern, safe information about canning, dehydrating, freezing, freeze-drying, and more. We answer listener questions, teach beginner and intermediate techniques, and share our very best tips for preserving successfully. We'll show you how to find trusted recipes, sources, and more so you never have to second-guess your preserving practices again. Ready to can like a master preserver? Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of the Perfectly Preserved Podcast. I'm so excited today. I feel like this is going to be a really, really valuable episode where we explain all about pressure canning. Anna is going to lead the way on this one. I grew up in a place, people do pressure can where I'm from, but my family did not. My mom did not pressure can when I was growing up. I don't think, I can't remember her ever doing it. And I think the reason was, that growing up on a cattle ranch, every family I knew had a chest freezer or a stand-up freezer like in the garage or whatever. And I think that has to do with the fact that just you have like a half a beef and that's going to last you however long. Everybody just had a way of preserving their low acid recipes already. And that was the chest freezer. I just feel like I grew up in a chest freezer centric world. And I didn't really pressure can until I started dating my now husband and he came from a family that did pressure can and they pressure canned meat that they had hunted. So buck meat, we call buck meat, but other people call venison. And his family and his recipe world is full of pressure canning recipes. So I think it's just so interesting. Everybody has a different story of how they got into pressure canning and why they love it and or why they're afraid of it. And we're going to dive into that and all the specifics about how you can do it too. And it's actually so much easier than you think. So Anna, tell us what is a pressure canner? Okay. So a pressure canner is a device, I guess I should say, where you can add your packed jars and following a tested recipe, you can close up that pressure canner and it can achieve temperatures of up to 240 to 250 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's the ideal temperature to kill the CBOT toxin for low acid foods. So that's going to be your potatoes, your vegetables, your meat, bone broth, some tomato products, and it just keeps them at a higher temperature for a sustained amount of time that's recommended. And it makes it shelf stable. Amazing. What brands do you recommend for a new person just listening to this podcast, excited to start pressure canning? What do you recommend in choosing a pressure canner and which brands do you not? Okay, this is a great question. And to be honest, I am not an affiliate for any of these brands. So I can say with a surety that these are the brands that I've tested and I liked. Okay, the first up is a Presto 23 quart pressure canner with a dial gauge. I really like this pressure canner because it's lightweight. It has a dial gauge, which means it's easy to read. And it costs around between $100 and $130, which is an investment for sure. 
But like Jenny said, if you have wild game, if you want to do soups, if you want to do, if you have a big garden and you want to process your vegetables, this is the way to do it. So that's the first one. The first one I love is a Presto 23 quart. Uh, The second one that I really love as well is an American made all American pressure canner. It looks like you could detonate a bomb in it and you would be fine. (laughs) It's really sturdy. Are those the only two that you've tested? Those are the only two that I use and I've tested. The all American is quite significantly more expensive, but it's made in America. It's super heavy duty aluminum and the parts are easy to find and easy to replace. And they just have a really great history. My mom has hers from the seventies. I grew up uh, with my family canning salmon. I grew up in Alaska. And if you are a resident of Alaska, each resident of Alaska. So I grew up in a huge family. I have nine siblings. Each person was able to have 30 salmon a year for subsistence fishing. And so we had our freezer full and whatever we didn't eat that year, the following year before we started fishing again, my mom would pressure can the previous year's salmon. Mm. So I just grew up always, always having pressure canned salmon in the pantry. Amazing. What? Do you look for if you're looking for secondhand pressure canners and what tips can you give our listeners for choosing a secondhand pressure canner? Okay, this is a great tip because I do a lot of thrifting, I do a lot of yard sailing or I go to estate sales. And I actually found my all-American pressure canner at a yard sale for $60. Wow. I should say the all-American canner that I have is a I think the number is 921 and it's normally around $300. So for me to find it for $60, it had never been used. It was in somebody's grandma's basement and she had never used it. It was a great deal. The thing you want to make sure and look for when you are shopping secondhand or on classified ads or whatever is for a newer model that has a black um, safety I believe they're called a safety valve, but it's like a rubber round black plug plug. Yes. Perfect. It's made out of rubber. And what happens is if you go over the recommended pounds pressure that can pop out and release some steam so that, you know, the lid doesn't go flying off quote unquote, but I've never seen that necessarily happen. But that's one of the things that you'll want to look for. Also look for any parts that may be missing, whether that's your dial gauge, the weighted gauge on top, or the rubber ring on the inside. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say that many secondhand canners, they would need a new gasket? The ring on the inside? The rubber ring? Yes. Sorry, the ring. Yeah. It depends. Like I've seen some that are in great shape, but I mean, it's a $7 investment. Sure. That's a great thing to replace on any secondhand pressure canner. Do you have any tips on getting your pressure canner calibrated? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So if you have a pressure canner with a dial gauge and you use it fairly often, you will want to get it tested. 
And you can do that either at an extension office or if you live in an area without an extension office, you can take it into a mechanic and they will test the pressure, the pounds pressure for your dial gauge and tell you what that is. Where I live, my pounds pressure that's recommended is 13. And so my pressure canner is calibrated to that. So those are the two ways that you can get your dial gauge tested every year. If you have just a weighted gauge on the top, those do not need to be tested yearly. Great. So I live in a place that doesn't have a cooperative extension office that could test that for me. And it was very informative to call around and try and figure out where in the world I could get that tested. But um, the only option that's sensible for me is to take it to a tire guy and have them measure it that way. But just I'm just saying, if you don't have a cooperative extension near you, you definitely have someone who sells tires and they have the device to to test how many pounds of pressure is this? Am I putting into this and is it measuring appropriately? That's what you're trying to measure. Like if it's if it says 10 pounds, is it really 10 pounds? That's what you're measuring and making sure that that dial is accurate. Yeah. And if you find that your dial gauge is more than two pounds off where it needs to be, then you need to replace that dial gauge. It's really easy to order a new dial gauge online. Mm. And yeah, it's really easy. Oh, perfect. That's a good tip. What are your favorite things to pressure can, Anna? Like I said earlier, I definitely do salmon when it's available. It's just such a part of my DNA. I absolutely love canned salmon and making it into salmon patties or salmon fritters or a rice bowl. It's just something that I love. So I do salmon. I just recently started doing um, soup in a jar, bone broth, vegetables like potatoes and corn. It makes my dinner prep so much faster. What about you? What do you love to pressure can or what have you done? Yeah. So speaking to your pantry goals, pressure canning can just be a very, very useful method of meal prep and or just having very useful things on your pantry shelf that you can use to cook any meal of the day. But it just to me, it's like a very sensible and next step once you learn about water bath canning. And you don't even really have to water bath can before you pressure can, but that seems to be a pretty typical progression. So what I have pressure canned for a long time, the only thing I pressure canned was buck meat. And again, I think that's a regionalism for venison. And I did it with tomato sauce and I did it with just plain. Um, I've done it a bunch of different ways. But then especially since going to the Master Preserver course and getting a lot more confidence in in all the things that you can pressure can, the meals in a jar idea is really, really attractive to me. And I've done that. And I was just telling Anna before we hit record, I said, do you think anyone would come if I hosted a bone broth party where I make the bone broth probably the day ahead and I demonstrate how to pressure can and then everyone gets to fill a jar with their bone broth and then they can add whatever add-ins they want, like jalapenos or onions or garlic or apple cider vinegar or turmeric. And since we are two birds of the same feather, she said, heck yes, I would come to that. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to be doing some of that this fall too. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I love about pressure canning is that it really fills the full spectrum of preserving your low acid foods. 
Because in an emergency, if you're, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but if you're in an emergency, if your freezer ever gets turned off and you've opened that and you immediately know that everything has gone bad in there, it is heartbreaking. Yeah, it's it really does round out your shelf stable storage skill set. We're going to have some great episodes about freezing on this podcast and dehydrating and other things, but the the shelf stable just in a jar preserved foods, this skill really does round out the the things that you can do. And I was thinking Anna of I think one of the first things that we talked about on social media was pressure canning and like pressure canning pitfalls. So before I had ever pressure canned a lot, I believed that all of the Pinterest recipes and the YouTube videos <laughs> saying that you could can cream soups, like cream of broccoli, cream of whatever, I thought that you could do that. And I had never done it, but I had thought so. And I think Anna, very kindly and politely, of course, very diplomatic, Anna Cash is, <laughs> like, hey, you can't pressure can cream soups. And it kind of blew my dang mind. Like, well, then why are all these recipes out there on the internet? <laughs> so we can tell you now, <laughs> we can tell you since you're listening to this podcast, there's actually a lot of things that you cannot pressure can at home. There's a lot of recipes that are not recommended. And I think that one thing that once I learned about was that was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, was that it's not necessarily like you can't just look at a food and think like, oh, it fits in a jar. That's a, of course you can can it. No. The proteins in milk, for example, milk and cream, make it not safe for pressure canning. You can't can water bath or pressure can pumpkin puree because it's too dense, for example. What are some other things that you see, Anna, people pressure canning that are not recommended? Well, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the ones specifically that I saw on TikTok that blew my mind was somebody had cooked bacon, a woman had cooked bacon, and then she'd laid it out on parchment paper, folded that parchment paper in half, and then rolled Mm -hmm. it and put it inside a jar and pressure canned it. Oh, for heaven's sake. And like, it blew my mind. I mean, okay, first off, cured meats are not recommended for pressure canning. Secondly, like paper inside of your jars, not recommended. Third, there's also no liquid inside for that heat to transfer through, to absorb, and to kill any type of microbes Mm -hmm. or botulism toxin that may be occurring in there. Okay, so some of the crazy things that I've seen people pressure can, the first one was somebody a woman was canning cooked bacon. She laid out the bacon on a sheet of parchment paper, folded it in half um, lengthwise, and then rolled it and put it in a pint jar and pressure canned it, which was horrific when I saw it. I was like, what is going on here? And I'm not joking. There were thousands of comments from people that were so excited to try (laughs) this method, and I just wanted to scream. So please tell us, why can you not do that? Okay. So number one, it's not recommended to can bacon. Number two, it's also not recommended to have parchment paper or sheets of waxed paper in your jars. And number three is it's not recommended 
to have something that's dry like that without any type of moisture for that heat to penetrate into to kill any type of toxins. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was really not exciting to see on TikTok. And then the second one that I saw, and maybe you have seen this too, is somebody canning just cow's milk for long-term storage. Yeah, that was going to be my example. And I think that there is this sense of, uh, it's, it's like this ethos of let's, by putting everything in a canning jar, it's like a badge of honor. And we are here, I mean, we love canning more than anybody, <laughs> but we also know that there's some things that you can't can. And even if you know someone who's done it for years and they've never gotten sick, that doesn't mean that it's a sensible thing for you to do. So canning dairy is not recommended because of the protein that prevents that heat from penetrating. And when I've told people this, you know, on social media or otherwise, the response is, well, then how does it get canned for the, you know, cans at the grocery store of evaporated milk or cans of puree, pumpkin puree or cans of whatever? The devices available for home food preservation are different than what's available in a factory setting. Right. My youngest sister is a food scientist and she works at a really large cheese manufacturing facility. And she just kind of laughs sometimes when I tell her the things that people are putting in their home canning jars. She's just like, what? Uh, okay. But, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, as somebody that is an actual food scientist, she's like, there's so much more to it than just... I want to do it, I'm going to do it regardless if it's safe or not and tell people about it. Well, right. And I think too that we run up against this a lot on our, you know, social media and blog and just sharing canning with the world. Anna and I get a lot of pushback and we're not trying to be the canning police, but we're just sharing why that isn't recommended. And I hope that's what you're getting out of today's episode. In addition to the fact that pressure canning is an awesome method of preserving low acid foods, there's just a lot of things you cannot safely pressure can or can at all. Yeah. And those things you can preserve in other ways, right? There's different ways to preserve other than putting things in mason jars. And right. so the milk, yeah, the milk was the one that I feel like is the is the method that is hard for people to understand because like you could pressure can like broth or something watery. Like why can't you do milk and cream? It's because of the protein in milk, which is like, that's why we love milk, right? <laughs> There's a lot of things that are healthy about it. And one of those is preventing the heat from penetrating. Yeah. And isn't it the fats as well in milk or cheese or butter, any of those? Yeah. So if, when you folks see videos of people pressure canning cubes of butter or yeah, anything that's really high in fat or I guess there's a lot of things that are high in fat that you wouldn't necessarily think, but dairy is a no, just no canning of cream, no canning of dairy, butter, milk, half and half, <laughs> coffee creamer. People want to pressure can at all, but don't fall into the trap. It's not recommended and it's because of the fat and the proteins. So yeah, don't, the butter, that's also a strange one. And it's not strange, but it's not recommended. So don't do it. I, to me, it's strange because I don't know why you wouldn't just freeze it and or 
if you're really such a homesteader, why wouldn't you just make it fresh from the cow you're milking every morning? You know? Yep. Anyway, I'm just here to share what's recommended. That's what we're here for. Uh, and then how can you adjust for altitude? That was an important. Yes. Okay. So uh, when you're doing pressure canning, it's different than when you're water bath canning or steam canning. You don't add minutes, you add pounds pressure. So if you say you're at sea level, you're going to want your pounds pressure, I want to say to be 10 pounds pressure. (laughs) In the ball canning book, it has a guide for your elevation and what your pounds pressure should be. For me, at 4,300 feet in elevation, I have to be around 13 pounds pressure. That's perfect. What other tips would you have for a beginner getting started with pressure canning? Could a person just read the directions? <laughs> you know what? I I recommend people read the instruction manual until you feel comfortable doing all the steps without looking at the manual. Like read it like I'm not kidding, like 5 6 times so that you are not missing any of the steps. And also the manufacturers, I've also found really great YouTube in tutorials from the manufacturer. Um, There's a really great All-American one and a really great Presto one. And it just talks about how to use your pressure canner for the first time. So while it may be intimidating, if you're by yourself, you can do that or find somebody that is really good at using their pressure canner and follows the instructions really well. When I started pressure canning, I couldn't believe how easy it was if you just follow the directions. And that, I mean, isn't that just like the key to life? Just following, follow the directions. There are quite a few steps, not not a ton of steps, and maybe I'll, Anna, I'll ask you to walk us through it. But if you just do what the steps are and you do them the way that <laughs> you're supposed to do them, it works exactly as the instructions say it will. It's very it's almost like there's less room for error. If you just follow the directions, it's absolutely going to work. There's no, there's no mystery as to what the outcome will be. It will work. You will have safely pressure canned your, you know, your green beans or whatever. It's very simple if you just follow the directions. So maybe Anna, could you just walk us through like, what's, what is the process of using a pressure canner? Sure. So first off, you're going to want to use a trusted recipe. So let's talk through how about potatoes? Potatoes are really easy. They're really great to have on the shelf. Great. So you're going to prep your produce, whatever way it says to do. And then you're going to pack your jars in clean, sterilized, clean, whatever jars. Mm -hmm. And then you are going to add two quarts of water to the inside of your pressure canner. Then you're going to turn your heat on, not super hot or boiling. I think in the instruction manual, it says no higher than like 180 degrees. So it's not going to be boiling yet, but it definitely will be warm. Then you add your jars. It's okay if the jars touch, Mm -hmm. but I like to give mine just a little bit of space in between because as they heat up, sometimes the jars will move around. Then you're going to add your lid and close it up tight. For my All-American, there are nuts and bolts at the top where you screw them on. But on my Presto, you just close the lid. There are arrows and a locking mechanism. Then you're going to turn on your heat. 
and get that water boiling. I like to have it at like a medium high heat. And then you'll notice after uh, maybe 15 or 20 minutes, there will be a steady stream of steam. So you want a lot of steam to be coming out of that steam port, the vent port. And that's called exhausting, right? Yes, exactly. And it has to be for at least 10 minutes. Don't skip this step. This is what pushes all of that oxygen out. Critical. Super important. Next, you are going to, after you've set your timer and you've exhausted your steam for 10 minutes, then you will add your weighted gauge to the top. I like to have a an oven mitt on when I do this because I don't want to burn my hand on the steam. And then you'll notice if it's a dial gauge pressure canner, you'll notice the, the gauge going up. When you get to the desired number, for me, it's 13.5. Then you start your timer. You back off the heat a little bit because it will be climbing and you need to kind of keep it in that range that you need. Then you start your timer and you kind of watch it. I don't recommend leaving your kitchen during pressure canning. I get a good book and I park my chair kind of by the stove so I can keep an eye on it because you don't want your dial to go down below what's recommended. You want it to only be above. It's okay if it's one or two pounds above, uh, but you don't want to be below. Very good. Otherwise, it's recommended that you start all over and you don't want to do that. Then once your timer is over, you turn the heat all the way off and let the let it decompress. So you just let it naturally come down to zero. I usually wait until it's five minutes past the zero just to be sure. And then I take off the weighted gauge, remove the lid, point it away from yourself because there will be a lot of steam and a lot of heat. And then I take my jar lifter and gently remove the jars and put them on my countertop away from a draft or a cold window on a dish towel. And I let them sit there for about 24 hours. And during that time, just be mentally prepared that they will bubble and boil like a witch's cauldron for hours, a really long time. They will be boiling. It's remarkable. It's so wild. It's so cool. But I think a lot of people don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that was so good, Anna. Thank you for walking us through every single step of what it's like to use a pressure canner. I think that's applicable and helpful for people both who have done it or haven't done it. Do you have anything else you want to share with our listeners about pressure canning? I guess my last point that I would make is that don't be scared of it. It will make some sounds that make it you know, kind of daunting. But once you figure out what you're doing, it's so pleasurable. It's so awesome to look on your shelf and see all of these food items that are just ready to open up, heat up and eat. It, it's just, I can't express how amazing it is to, to have this in your tool belt, this skill set. Yeah, that's a great way to say it. It's a really satisfying and useful skill. And you don't have to be afraid of it because you are a person who is going to follow the directions. <laughs> You're going to use a pressure canning appropriate recipe. You will have your pressure canner checked either by a cooperative extension office or by your local tire guy 
to make sure that it's accurate. You will take good care of your pressure canner, guys. You will store it indoors, okay? It's not appropriate to store them out like in the garage where the there's going to be a lot of temperature fluctuations. That's a pro tip for you. I have to store mine in my closet next to my shoes. You're going to remember to adjust for altitude by adding pounds per pressure. And if you just follow the directions, I think you'll be really, really mesmerized by this device that can help really round out your food preservation repertoire. Perfect. All right. That's another episode, guys. Thank you so much for joining us while we were talking about pressure canning. Don't be scared. Don't be intimidated. Follow the instructions and you will be so successful and just love it. Thanks so much, guys. That's our show. We don't want you to miss an episode, so please be sure to subscribe. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give our show a rating and review. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps our show grow. Follow us on social media at Smart Home Canning and at The Domestic Wildflower. Email your preserving questions to perfectlypreservedpodcast at gmail.com and we will do our best to answer your questions on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode released every week.